All right. Thank you. We appreciate the updates on our missionaries. Now, over the the past, uh, uh, oh, just a little bit over a month, I guess now, we've been taking a look at what Scripture tells us about God Himself. So we've been uh, just talking about who is God. And over the past few weeks, we've talked about the process of knowing God. We've talked about the fact that God is unique. We've looked at what Scripture tells us about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And today, specifically, we're talking about the fact that God is omnipotent, God is omniscient, and God is omnipresent. Now, maybe those are terms you're familiar with, and maybe they're new terms, so we're going to explain those terms in just a few moments. But I wanted to start us off today by looking at Psalm 113. Now, I'll admit right up front, we're not going to spend a lot of time in Psalm 113. We're going to start there and then branch from there into looking at a variety of other scriptures. But in Psalm 113, one of the things I really appreciate about this psalm is that as the psalmist is penning these words down, he's contemplating who God is. And you'll notice in this psalm, you'll also notice this in other psalms, this spirit of awe that seems to overcome the psalmists. And in this particular psalm, you have the psalmist basically contemplating God and realizing and exclaiming that there is nobody like him. And you're going to see that as a theme through the scriptures that we look at today, but I wanted to start with Psalm 113, and we'll begin with verse 1. I'll read the whole thing, so I'll read down to verse 9, but this is what it says in Psalm 113. It says, "'Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust, and lifts the needy from the ash heap, to make them sit with princes, with the princes of His people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege that you have given us to be able to look at it together today. And Lord, as we look at what your word reveals to us about your nature, and specifically today as we talk about your omnipotence and your omniscience and your omnipresence, Lord, we pray that as we look at what your word says about these attributes of you, that we would be filled with awe of you that we would recognize that there is nobody like you. So Lord, we're thankful that you've given us your word that we can read and meditate on together, and we pray that you'd speak to our minds and speak to our hearts now as we study it together. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So a personality trait that seems to run like a thread through the lives of many people that I admire is the personality trait of being a high-capacity person. So you probably know some people in your life that are high-capacity people. You probably know some people just in general in society with, you know, or even in history that have been high-capacity people. I'm often impressed by people who seem skilled at juggling multiple things at the same time without becoming excessively bogged down or easily discouraged or anything like that. And some of my 
favorite historical figures are people that I would say are high-capacity leaders. Some of the people that I allow to influence me presently, right now, are people that I consider high-capacity people. Uh, I'm trying to learn from them. I'm trying to implement some of their attitudes and their approaches and their strategies. But the truth is, no matter how high-capacity someone might be, we need to realize that we all have our limits. I have limits. You have limits. The people that we allow to influence us have their limits, even if we're someone who, who doesn't require a lot of sleep. Now, I've, I've read about certain leaders throughout history that maybe if they got four hours of sleep each evening, maybe that was a good night's sleep for them. Some people don't require a lot of sleep, but still, even those that don't require a lot of sleep still require some sleep. Or even if we know many things, we don't know everything. And let's be honest, some of the most annoying people on this earth are people who think they know everything. The strongest, the wisest, the most gifted people on this earth can only do so much. They have their limits. Now, that being the case, let's consider God for, for a moment here. He's not only high capacity, our Lord is infinite capacity. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's perfect in every single one of His abilities. There isn't a single thing that He doesn't know. And there is no one more powerful than Him. And unlike humans who can only be in one place at one time, our Lord is everywhere all at once, at the same time. And I think that's amazing. And I think that that's some of what the psalmist was contemplating when he was thinking about the Lord and when he was uh, just expressing some of his thoughts in Psalm 113. But in particular, he makes the comment, who is like the Lord our God? Who is like the Lord our God? He's basically saying, nobody is like the Lord our God. He alone has these attributes. And I want to talk this morning about three of those attributes of God that I think are pretty significant and things that the Lord makes abundantly clear are true of Him when we look throughout the Scriptures. And one of the things that Scripture reveals to us is that God is omnipotent. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with that term or not, but I'll de define it here in just a moment. But before I define it, I want to take us to Genesis chapter 1. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to be skipping around a little bit here, and uh, we'll be looking at verse 1 and verse 3 and verse 6 and several other verses in Genesis chapter 1, but I wanted to bring it up here for us to be able to look at together because it illustrates the omnipotence of God. But it says in that chapter, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. So it's fascinating, again, to consider God's omnipotence when we look at a portion of Scripture like this. Now, again, this word omnipotent, it's a word that theologians use to describe God. And when you take a look at that word, when you think about the word omnipotent, it makes a lot of sense that that term would be used in regard to the Lord, because when you break it down into its parts, you see the prefix omni. And omni means all. 
And then you look at the second part of the word, potent, and potent means powerful. So when we're using this term omnipotent to describe God, we're saying that God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. There's no greater power in existence than the power of God. And there's nothing in existence that God doesn't have power over. Now, a great example of that was given to us in the portion of Scripture we just read from the book of Genesis. And in that portion of Scripture, you have the chapter beginning by describing the work of God in creation. And we're told as we look at these verses that God spoke creation into existence. He spoke it into existence. Now, in contemporary society, I frequently hear people appeal to the universe itself as if it's the guiding force over our lives. But when you look at what Scripture actually says, it tells us that God Himself has power over the universe. He spoke it into existence. So just consider that for a moment. The fact that God spoke creation, that He spoke the universe into existence. Because it's one thing to fashion or to make something out of something that already exists. But God is so powerful that He can speak something into existence that didn't exist a moment earlier. He can just speak it into existence. He didn't just shape what we see. He spoke it into existence out of nothing. He created it out of nothing by the power of His Word. He created the heavens and the earth, Scripture tells us. He created light. He created water. He gave specific borders to the water. That's, and I think that's a fascinating concept too, this idea of borders to the water. But have you seen the video that's been circulating around online? I've seen it several times where the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean meet. It's interesting. The water looks different. One looked a little greener and one looked a little bluer, and there's a very visible line between the two waters. And I thought, well, that's fascinating. But even, you know, Scripture's talking about the fact that the water doesn't envelop the entire earth, that land exists as God created it to exist. He created land. He created vegetation. Our God is all-powerful. And so you have the Bible opening up with uh, an illustration of that fact, showing us that God is all-powerful in His creation. He spoke creation into existence. Who can do that but Him? Only He could do that. And there's no greater power than the power of of God. So just consider for a moment what that means for you and for me. If there's no greater power than the power of God, what significance does that have in your life and in my life? Well, take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. There it says this, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Power, love, and self-control. That's what the Lord has blessed us with. So what that's telling us is that our all-powerful God, who made us part of His eternal family when we trusted in His Son, Jesus Christ, is working His power through us. He hasn't left us powerless to face the, the challenges or the griefs or the adversities that we face in this life. The very same power that spoke creation into existence is accessible to and at work in all who believe. So I bring that up because that's something that Scripture illustrates and something that Scripture explains, but I just kind of want us to ask ourselves the question, are we convinced of that? 
Are we convinced that the very same power that spoke creation into existence is at work in our individual lives? Are you convinced of the fact that the power of God is at work in your life? That very same power that spoke creation into existence. And what kind of difference does that make in the life of a believer when they become convinced of that truth? I think it makes a huge difference. I think it makes a huge difference in how we approach every day. I think it makes a huge difference in how we uh, just perceive ourselves and our circumstances in the midst of this world. The Lord's power is at work within us. And Scripture goes on to illustrate another powerful application of this truth. It reveals to us that since we're recipients of new birth and new life through Jesus Christ, that we can be confident that the very same power that created life on this earth will also rise us again to life after our bodies experience natural death. Look at what it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. It says, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Meaning, our omnipotent, all-powerful God has already revealed what's in store for us. You know, so the Scripture's telling us that just as Jesus rose from death, so too will we, if we trust in Jesus Christ, be raised by the power of God. And when you look at what these Scriptures are illustrating, when you look at the fact that Scripture's telling us that God is all-powerful and He chooses to exercise that power in your life and in my life, isn't it a blessing to realize that, that God has chosen to use that power in such a gracious and merciful way toward us, and that He gives us access to it. That again, you and I have not been left in this world powerless. There are things that you and I will experience on a regular basis. There are challenges. I always think of this at the start of a new year, but I also tend to think of it right after going through seasons that present certain challenges. And I always think, all right, you know what? I have no control over what happens to me on any given day. No control. You know, there are so many things, there's like this much that I can control, right? You know, so it's like next to no control. But most of what goes on in my life and in your life, I have no control over. Every time I walk into a building, I'm trusting that the contractors that built it decades earlier did a good job. I'll tell you what, not to freak you out, but the church that I grew up in one Sunday during a Sunday morning worship service started hearing something funny coming through the ceiling. And they all started looking up. And the main beam that supports the sanctuary cracked during a worship service, and everybody ran out. Actually, the pastor took the offering, then he encouraged everybody to run out. That's a true story. I was like, he still took the offering. I was like, all right, well, I guess among pastors that would be a badge of honor, but I don't know. Maybe they all should have just left. I think they were a little confused. But I think of that every time I walk into a building, or those of you that are sitting under the lights, you're trusting that whoever wired that has anchored that pretty thoroughly to the ceiling. They probably did. You know, it's been there a few decades. It's most likely fine. Or maybe it's not. But every single day that you and I wake up, every single day that we live, what are we doing? We're trusting that things are going to go in accordance to God's plan, and we recognize that most of what takes place around us is outside of our control. I was praying a lot over the course of the past few days. My daughter took a long drive, longest drive she ever took since she took her license, up to Cole region of Schuylkill County. Three hours, one way, so six hours on the road. I thought, all right, I'm not in the car with her. She's driving up, and she's driving back. And what am I doing while she's doing that? I'm praying because it's outside of my control. 
And isn't it nice to know that in the midst of so much that is outside of our control, that the Lord has not left us powerless? He's looked at you and he's looked at me and he said, you know what? You don't have strength that's sufficient to carry you through all the things that you're going to face. You don't know what's coming up, what challenge, what adversity, what difficulty, what grief you might be experiencing. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm giving you my power. That's what our Lord has done for us. He's given us His power in the midst of everything that we experience. You might be in the midst of something right now. Have you reminded yourself of what Scripture actually reveals? That the power of God, as you trust in Jesus Christ, that God's power is at work in you. The same power that spoke creation into existence is at work in you and will likewise raise you up someday after natural death. That's what Scripture reveals. Our God is all-powerful, and He shares that power with us. Something else that Scripture reveals to us about God that's fascinating is that He's omniscient. Well, what does it mean that God is omniscient? Before I define that, let me read for us from 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. In that portion of Scripture, it says this, "...by this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything." Let me reread that statement. It says, "...and He knows everything." He knows everything. So again, another word that theologians like to use to describe God is that He's omniscient. So just as we split up the word uh, omnipotent, we could split up the word omniscient. Omni, again, meaning all. And how would you say the second part? Would you say scient, S-C-I-E-N-T? Would you say scient? I don't think you'd just look at it and say shent. When it becomes part of a word, it becomes omniscient. But I think on its own, we'd probably say scient. I could be wrong. No one offered an idea. Tell me later. Um, But the idea is, you know, scient means knowing. So when we're describing God as being omniscient, we're describing Him as being all-knowing. God knows everything. There isn't a single thing that can be known, whether it be past, present, or future, that God isn't intricately aware of. Now, in First John chapter 3 that we just read a moment ago, you have the Apostle John explicitly stating that God knows everything. And when you look throughout the Scriptures, we're given a bunch of examples that illustrate that, but I want to share a couple of them with us that show that God is all-knowing. One of the portions of Scripture that I hear quoted with some regularity is from Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 and 30, but there it says this, "...are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered." Now, a couple weeks ago, I bought new bird feeders for the back of our yard, and they look like little churches. When I found them, I thought, oh, that's cool, and it'll be consistent with my life, right? If, if you're a pastor, don't you just have to buy the uh, bird feeders that look like little churches, right, so that you fit the stereotype? Uh, but my wife liked them too, and we're like, oh, we should get those. And, um, and so I put them on these tall hooks in our backyard. And I hung them there, and, and she put some, we bought a big bag of bird seed. It was kind of large. It was almost like, uh, I don't know, like, what I don't know. It was just big, right? It was big and it was heavy. And uh, we filled them up too much because it was starting to bend the hook, so then we had to take some out. And then we sat there and watched. So we're sitting on our back deck and we're watching. We're like, all right, birds, notice. You just put a thing out here. And uh, we watched for a while, and not a single bird came 
on day one. Day two, we're looking out back. I don't think I saw a single bird on day two. I think one of the kids said that they saw one fly near it, right? We're like, all right, uh, this isn't working. But then by day three, apparently word got out, and every, every bird on creation now lives in our backyard. And it's interesting to watch their patterns and to see birds that live locally that we didn't even know lived locally. Julia has been reading a book about all the different birds in Pennsylvania, so she's our resident expert giving us advice. No, that's a, that's a morning dove. You know, we're like, hey, it's a pigeon. She's like, that would be a morning dove, right? <laughs> Two of us have done that and been corrected by Julia. Uh, but we're looking at them, and the funny thing is now they all start lining up on our back retaining wall, taking turns. So they'll line up around the feeder, and then they'll, they'll, they'll line up like a, you know, is this where like the whole term like a pecking order comes from? Like, I'm just thinking that right now. That's, that's, you're watching me process this as I'm speaking. But they're lined up, and then they'll come, and they'll, they'll get food, and then they'll fly off, and they'll do that. And we're going through seed so much that it's like I have another child I need to feed. We just had to go buy another bag of seed. We just bought the first bag. They burned through it, and uh, now we bought more seed. We've kind of created a monster, but we're helping the birds go to church every day in our backyard. But it's fascinating to see because I look at it, and I'm just amazed, and, and our family is entertained by looking at the beauty of God's living creation as it visits our yard and then flies away. The birds are beautiful, and they're, they're fascinating to watch, and you even start to notice some personalities about them. And then you look at a portion of Scripture like this in Matthew 10, and it tells us that the Lord knows every single detail about every single one of those birds, and not a single one of them will fall to the ground without it catching the Lord's attention and without Him being aware that that was going to happen to begin with and when it would happen. That's fascinating. And then it tells us even the hairs of your head are numbered. And the idea is, you know, we couldn't number our own hair. But imagine thinking about, you know, how many people are on the face of the earth right now? I think there's 7 billion. And the Lord knows the amount of hair that will ever be on every single one of those 7 billion heads. He knows every single detail of every one of our lives. And what the Scripture is trying to illustrate is the fact that God knows everything, even the minutia. Even the little things that we wouldn't think a whole lot about. God knows everything. I also love Psalm 139. When my wife and I were dating in college, we both took the time. This was her suggestion, and so we did this. We both took the time to memorize Psalm 139 while we were apart, and then when we came back together, we would both say it to one another. And in the opening verses of Psalm 139, it says this. Imagine this now. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. That's what the Scripture reveals to us about the knowledge of God, the fact that He is omniscient. He knows everything. Now, let me say this, because Often in life, I think it can be very easy for us to mistakenly begin to believe that God isn't aware of what we're experiencing. Meaning that, you know, one of the great mistakes that mankind historically has made 
is to adopt the belief that somehow God is distant from us, that God is unaware of the details of our day-to-day experiences. But when you look at what the Lord's revealed to us about Himself, He's not unaware of your experiences and my experiences. He isn't distant from His creation. He knows everything about us, including, again, the number of hairs on our head, the number of pores in our skin, the number of words we will ever say, the number of breaths we will ever take. There isn't a single thing about us that God doesn't know. But consider this for just a moment. God is all-knowing, but sometimes one of the mistakes we make as human beings in our vanity and even in our self-worship, we don't often think about the fact that our vanity is in effect, that that it's self-worship. But one of the mistakes that we often make is trying to usurp this attribute of God. You know, God is all-knowing, but sometimes we'll treat ourselves like we're all-knowing. And you know when we do that? We do that every time we don't heed the voice of God. Every time we could look at what Scripture actually says and go our own direction in our life as if we know better than God. Effectively, what we're doing in those moments where you and I, and we've all done it, every single one of us in this room, we've all done it. We've all listened to what God has to say and filtered it through what we wanted to hear from it and then gone in our own direction anyway. And every time I'm doing that and every time you're doing that, we're effectively saying, God, you are not omniscient. Your omniscience is false. That is not an attribute you possess. I possess that attribute. Every single time I've done that in my life, I can tell you what, it doesn't work out. Because saying something like that effectively with my life is untrue. I am not all-knowing. You are not all-knowing. And any time I, in, in my own vanity or in my own self-worship, can take what God has revealed and go in the opposite direction, I'm making a grave error. Because God is omniscient. He knows what's best for me. He knows what's best for you. And He invites us to trust Him that He knows these things. In God's omniscience, he also knows what is to come. Now, when you read through Scripture, a large percentage of it is dedicated to prophecy. I was talking to a a pastor, this is maybe about 15 years ago, and uh, he was going to be filling in for me at a time when I was speaking through the book of Daniel. And I said to him, I, I said, do you want to just continue with the chapter where I left off, or do you want to preach on something else? And his comment to me was, you know, I don't really preach through the prophetic portions of the Bible. And I was like, okay, I didn't say anything, but I was like, that's weird. Um, Particularly when you consider that major, major chunks of the Bible are prophecy. Major sections. Some of the longest books of the Bible are the prophetic books. And prophecy is a gift to us from the Lord. And what he does with that gift is he uses it to confirm that what he is saying is true. When he prophesies something through a prophet, and then it comes to pass, what's the Lord doing? He's showing us that he is true and that he could be trusted and that his word is accurate and reliable when he fulfills his promises. When he tells us something ahead of time and then he goes and he does it, and we watch it come to pass. He's showing that he can be relied on. He's also giving us, by the way, prophecy to encourage our hearts to be hopeful in the midst of everything that we experience. Because there's good things in store for those who believe in Jesus Christ. And I'm glad that we know them now. That these aren't things that will just all be surprises in the very end. 
The Lord's revealed these things to us now so that right now we can be hopeful, so that we never need to become bogged down in difficult circumstances that we might be going through. Our all-knowing God has revealed to us the outcome of what He's accomplishing. I love what it says in Revelation 21, verse 3. There it says this as we get right to the end of the Scriptures, but it says, "And And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. That's the outcome of where the Lord's leading things toward. He's told us the outcome ahead of time. Why? Why would He... He didn't have to tell us that. But why did He tell us that? Because confidence in His promises is something that fosters hope within us. As the Lord's told us certain things that are ahead... He's doing so to encourage your heart and my heart to be hopeful. So that means no matter how difficult today might be, we can be confident that the joyful future, our all-knowing, omniscient God has revealed to us is going to come to pass. God is omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. One other attribute of God that we're going to look at today is this. The fact that God is also omnipresent. And what does that mean? The fact that God is omnipresent. Well, let me read for us again from Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. But there it says this, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. So again, there we have the psalmist looking at the Lord. In this context, it's David. And David's just contemplating the fact that the Lord is omnipresent. So again, this is an additional term that theologians like to use. We could break it apart just like we did the other words. And this one's probably the easiest of all three to kind of think about in your mind. What does this mean? What does omnipresent mean? Well, again, omni means all, present means present, right? Meaning he's everywhere at once. There isn't a location that you and I could travel to that God isn't already there. There isn't a place that you and I could go to that God isn't already present. He is present everywhere. That's what David was expressing in Psalm 139. And I think that this is also the lesson that the Lord was teaching Jonah and teaching many others throughout history who mistakenly believed that they could successfully flee from his presence. It can't be done. We can't flee from his presence. Now, when I think of marks of spiritual maturity, I don't know if one of the desires of your life is to become spiritually mature, but I hope that it is. And if your desire is to become spiritually mature... I believe that one of the marks of spiritual maturity, something that's wise and healthy and a sign of spiritual maturity, is to become gradually more convinced of the presence of God. To become convinced of His presence. Meaning, I believe we make much healthier decisions in life when our awareness of God's presence is heightened. Typically, so as you think of the spiritual disciplines, typically as we, as we foster the spiritual discipline of prayer, our awareness of God's presence begins to grow. We talk to Him because He's near. We listen to Him because He's near. 
we visibly observe his miraculous intervention in our lives because he's near. Our hearts find peace because he's near. God made his presence quite clear when he chose to take on flesh and dwell among us. Jesus Christ, God the Son, walked our streets, and he ate our food, and he felt our pain, and he died our death, and he rose to life as the first fruits of the coming resurrection for all who believe in him. We aren't worshiping a God who is distant from us. We aren't worshiping a God who's uninvolved or unconcerned or aloof, right? We worship the Lord who is intimately acquainted with all aspects of our experience, and he inserts himself into what we go through. Love what it tells us about Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Scripture tells us about Jesus who identifies with everything that you and I are going through. Now, one final thing I want to say about God's omnipresence is this. Don't make the mistake of applying that attribute of God to anyone or anything else. Only God can be all places at once. No one else has this capacity. Nobody else can do this. And I bring this up today because I've often heard well-meaning believers mistakenly assume that Satan also possesses that capacity. Satan does not have that capacity. Satan cannot be all places at once. Like us, Satan is a created being. And like us, he can only be in one place at one time. He is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. And he's certainly not omnipresent. And I bring that up because I believe that mistakenly assuming that Satan possesses attributes that only God possesses can actually cause us to live in fear when God's desire for us is that we live with a confident faith that isn't easily shaken by misinformation or a lack of knowledge. Only God can be all places at one time. Every created being can only be in one place at one time. It's fascinating to consider just the nature of God and the attributes of God, particularly today as we think about His omnipotence and His omniscience and His omnipresence. And I have a couple questions for us to ponder, and I just want you to think about these things today. Because I think sometimes when you look at theological data, when you look at doctrinal data, sometimes it can be very easy for us to look at these things and to maybe file it away like it, like it belongs in some sort of cabinet of trivia in our mind without recognizing the fact that these are things that are actually meant to have a direct implication on our lives. I don't know that God would necessarily reveal these things to us if He didn't want us to be impacted by it, certainly impacted to glorify Him and worship Him, and also in our day-to-day life to be impacted in how we go about life and perceive ourselves in the midst of this world. So a couple questions that I want to ask us in light of this discussion of God's omnipotence and omniscience and omnipresence, first question is this, how, how can you identify or how are you experiencing God's power right now? How are you experiencing God's power 
right now? When you look at your life, where do you see His power at work? Are you accessing His power in your moments of weakness, in your moments of temptation, in your moments of anger, in your moments of regret? Are you accessing the power of God? Because His power is accessible to you. Second question is this. How are you trusting His will and His wisdom? He's omniscient, right? How are you trusting His will and His wisdom? How are we trusting His will and His wisdom? Or, if we look at our lives, are we more caught up in that cycle of trusting our own will and trusting our own wisdom and not really concerning ourselves with what the Lord's revealed to us in His Word and not really concerning ourselves with how the Holy Spirit is speaking to our conscience? We need to be people who are known for trusting the will of God and the wisdom of God and internalizing the Word of God. Third question is this, how conscious have you become of God's presence? It does make a big difference in your day-to-day life and in my day-to-day life if we start mistakenly thinking that God is distant from us. If we start believing that He's not right here with us, that will impact the way we live our life on this earth. That will impact the kind of decisions that we make. We won't be walking by faith, we'll be walking by sight. But the Lord wants us to walk by faith, highly conscious of the fact that He's present with us. What did Christ tell the disciples before He ascended back to heaven? Even as they're watching Him ascend, what did He say? I'm going to be with you always. I'm with you always. Not just watching you from a distance always. That's not what He said. I'm with you always. And I'm sending the Helper to you, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit. He's with you us always. He's omnipresent. He's present in this room. He's present in your car. He's present in your home. In your day-to-day life, the Lord is present. He's right here. He's all places at once, and it makes a difference if you and I begin to believe that, like Scripture reveals. And at the end of the day, our Lord's attributes, they inspire awe within us. And I think just like we read at the beginning, and I want to finish with this today, like the psalmist said in Psalm 113, we too can marvel at the question, who is like the Lord our God? And the answer is, no one. No one is like the Lord our God. And yet He loves us enough to be involved in our day-to-day lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for who you are and for what you do and for how you have made your presence known to us. Lord, we recognize that there was a time when we lived as if you were distant from us. And Lord, maybe some of, some of us maybe in this room today are living like you're distant, Lord. But when we look at the Scriptures, we're, we're reminded that there is no place that we can go to flee from your presence. So Lord, if we've been living in such a way that it looks like we're fleeing from you instead of running toward you, we pray that you would correct that. We pray that you would give insight to our minds and that you would soften our hearts so that we would understand our need for you in our day-to-day lives. Lord Jesus, we're grateful for who you are and all you've accomplished on our behalf. Lord, you came to this earth illustrating to us perfectly that you desire to be present with us. You took our sin upon yourself died on the cross. You rose from the grave. You offer new life through your power to everyone who trusts in you. And so, Lord, we pray that our trust in you would be strong, 
that it would be visible, that it would be growing, and that as our faith matures, that you would help us to be highly, highly conscious of your presence with us. Lord, thank you for your love and thank you for your goodness. And we pray, Lord, that that your power and your knowledge and your presence would be things that, that we would have confidence in and that we would be reminded of today as we look at the portions of Scripture that we looked at this morning. We commit ourselves to you now, Lord, and we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name.